Well, welcome once again to our study in uh, the transforming power of God. Uh, it's been an amazing study for me as I've been preparing these messages, and I trust that God is speaking to your hearts as well. Um, we're, we're talking about um, something that is pretty remarkable. Uh, the world talks a lot about change and reformation, but they don't really know how to speak to this idea of transformation. That's because the world doesn't really know how to make that happen. Uh, they'd love to have it happen. People always want to have their lives changed and transformed, but it really doesn't happen. And so we come to the gospel, and we come to the good news that uh, Jesus wants to transform our lives. He wants to change us. And the way that uh, the text talks is that there are two forces pulling at us. There's one force, the uh, spirit of selfishness, the spirit of the flesh that is pulling us this way. This is called the kingdom of man, and this is this broken world that we live in, and that force is constantly pulling us. But then there's this other force, uh, the Spirit of God, that is drawing you to peace and joy and love and all of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the amazing thing about this, this battle that's going on is that you get to choose who wins. You get to choose which you embrace. Do you embrace the life of self or do you embrace the life of the Spirit? You get to choose that. And this morning as we look at our text, I'd just like to remind you that um, uh, we have a choice whether we live in the, the grace of the Spirit or the ungrace of self. Uh, the penthouse of joy and love and the Spirit's present or the outhouse of condemnation and self-striving and self-indulgence. It's our choice. So I'd like you to listen to the text this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, and now I'll say something that I never thought I'd ever say, but if you have your devices uh, that you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and um, we're going to be reading the text, verses 16 to 25. We've been reading this uh, every week in the New Living Translation. And um, uh, this is an amazing passage. And when we read this, uh, we, I want you to remember James 1.22 that the children taught us. And they said at the end of the song, what? Do what it says, right? Do what it says. And then if you forget what the verse is about, do what it says. And I also want to remind you of, uh, of two other things. Uh, number one, read your Bibles, right? I remind you that every week. It's amazing what's in the Bible. You'll be blown away by what's in the Bible. Uh, read your Bibles. And when you do read your Bibles, ask God to minister to your spirit. Lord, I'm going to read the word now. Just minister to my spirit as I do that. So you do those two things this week, but I'm going to like to read for you uh, this wonderful text from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, okay? The sinful nature wants to do evil over here, but just the opposite of what the spiritual nature wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. I mean, we all know that tension, don't we? That battle that's within us. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
They're constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit over here, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Next paragraph. Now, when you follow these desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of selfishness, when you press into this kind of life, certain things will come forth from your life. Certain things will come out of your life. Certain things will happen as a result of embracing this selfish, sinful life. And Paul gives the list. The results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. May I add, if your sin wasn't on the list, add your sin, because as human beings we have right and enormous capacity to create our own sins. Add your list, it's on there. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, this is very harsh language, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Last paragraph. But, okay, that's this life, the life of self and sin. You press into this life, you embrace this life, that's what comes out of your life. Now, if you, impre- if you press into this kind of life, the life of the Spirit, when, uh, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This kind of fruit, drunkenness, orgies, all of that. This kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our children taught us that well. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, life in the Spirit, have nailed the passions and desires, have nailed these passions and desires and sinful nature to the cross, to Jesus' cross, and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of of our lives. Isn't that a marvelous text? And we're going to be reading this again each week uh, through this uh, series on uh, God's transforming power. So the last two weeks, we've been looking at the first two fruit of the Spirit. The first one is foundational for everything else. And we, we hit that pretty hard, that uh, if you don't have love, it doesn't matter what your doctrine is, doesn't matter what your theology is, doesn't matter how much Bible you know, if you don't have love, you are a clanging symbol. You make noise, but nothing is done for God's kingdom. So love is crucial. And we asked you to remember one question and to use this question every time you make a decision in your lives. And it's this, what would love require of me? What does love require of me in my, with my spouse? What does love require of me with my children or my parents? What does love require of me at work, at Intel, or as a teacher? What does love require of me where I go and play, at the gym, or on the softball field? What does love require of me of a student on the college campus, or the high school campus, or the junior high campus? And then it gets a little bit more difficult. What does love require of me of people that are different than me? People that have a different religion, a different uh, outlook, a different way of living their life, a different sexual orientation, God forbid, a different political persuasion. What if somebody like that is in my life? The question you have to ask, especially in those moments, is what does love require of me? Not just what does my temper require of me, what does my way require of me, what does my preference require of me, what does love 
require of me? What does love require of me with my, with my enemies? That's the question we left you with two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at joy. And we talked about how that joy is independent of circumstances. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, happiness is very dependent on circumstances. Uh, some of you are happy today because things are going good in your life and things are going pretty well. Your kids are on track. Uh, you know, your parents are healthy. Uh, uh, your job's going well. Uh, you've got a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, things are going well, and so, and so you're happy. But some of you are unhappy because of those same circumstances aren't as good. Joy transcends circumstances because joy comes from a place deep inside of you. Joy doesn't come from the circumstances of your life. Joy comes from that place inside of you when you recognize that Christ is in you. He has redeemed you. He has delivered you. He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has stamped your ticket so you have a place in eternity waiting for you when you recognize all that Christ has done in your life that wells up inside of you, and that is joy. Now today, we're going to look at something a little bit more elusive. Enticing, but elusive. And that is peace. We all want it. We all desire it. But somehow in this broken kingdom of man, little kingdom world that we live in, we never seem to find peace. The endless wars and conflicts, the injustices we see in the world today only prove what the Bible has always declared concerning mankind. Paul wrote in Romans 3.17, the way of peace they have not known. The way of peace they have not known. From the time that Cain and Abel fought as brothers and Cain killed Abel, our world has been filled with a history of angry, fighting, wars, killing, power over, power on top, I'm in charge, you do what I say, you submit to me, wars. It's always been the same. And you know what? Here's the bad news. We're going to have good news later. The bad news is always will be until the day of the Lord. We'll talk about that in a few moments. The way of peace they have not known. All the efforts that we have as a human race to achieve a just and lasting peace have failed miserably for the simple reason that the root of the problem is peace within me peace within you. The root of the problem is not, you know, Miss America waving and says we want, you know, world peace. You know, that's not the answer. Not going to happen, you know. Thank you, Miss America. For 50 years she's been doing it and we've not had peace for 50 years. It's just not happening. Peace has to be something coming from within me. Well, when talking about peace or the lack thereof, we must consult the experts, okay? So I found some quotes about peace from some of the world's most foremost leaders, past and present. So, here's the first quote. To do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. About halfway through the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, 1863. You notice what he wanted, what he called for as the President of the United States? to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace. That's what they wanted during the Civil War, a just and lasting peace. Two generations later, here's another quote. Does not every American feel that assurance has been added to our hope for the future peace of the world? 
at the end of World War I, Woodrow Wilson in 1917. One generation later, with God's help, the future of mankind will be assured in a world of justice, harmony, and peace. Harry S. Truman, December 2nd, 1945. Now, for some of you, I'm not, the next one I'm going to say, the next is a, another generation, another war, but let me remind you of something. After World War II, um, after World War II, uh, Germany was in chaos, and Berlin was marched on by the Russians. And the Russians basically said, we're going to take over Berlin, and we're going to crush every man, woman, and child that's, less, that's left there. So that's where the East Germany, I mean, the you know, East Berlin, West Berlin thing came. The United States tried to protect uh, Berlin, say, the war's over, let's do reparations, let's, let's help. The Russians said, no, we're going to crush these people. And so the Cold War started like 20 minutes after the World War II ended. You know, we thought, okay, now we've got peace, right? Uh, Harry, Harry Truman after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, now we can have peace. Now that we've blown to smithereens, you know, two Japanese cities, now we can have peace. Well, peace never was. I mean, then we had the Cold War, you know, the Bay of Pigs, all that stuff. So we've never really experienced peace in any of our lifetimes. And then a generation after World War II, we hear this. All men and women of goodwill to join in the prayerful hope that this moment marks not only the end of the Vietnam, war in Vietnam, but the beginning of a new era of world peace. A new era of world peace? What do we get? Are we going to get 20 minutes again? A new era of world peace and understanding for all mankind. Richard Milhouse Nixon, January 26, 1973. Half a generation after that. Notice how it's picking up the pace. Two generations, one generation, one generation. Half a generation after this. The end of the war in the Persian Gulf signals the beginning of lasting peace in our world. George Bush Sr., February 1991. George, I love you, but are you kidding me? And then his son, half a generation after that. Uh, w, George W. Bush gave an address to the Citadel Military College three months after 9-11. And this is what George W. said. America and our friends and allies join with all those who want peace and security in the world, and we stand together to win the war against terrorism. George W. Bush, December 11th, 2001. Are you kidding me? And every president since then has said the same kind of declarations. If we only deal with this situation, if we only deal with Iraq, if we only deal with Afghanistan, if we only deal with what's happening with Russia and, and all of Russia's, uh, the, 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 the countries around them, the Ukraine and everything, if only we deal with that, then we can have long and lasting peace. Every, especially every election year, every speech by a Democrat or Republican will use the word peace. And you know what? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It will never happen until the Bible says Jesus Christ will break through the eastern sky. And at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will break through and there will be this amazing time where they'll be established for a thousand years, this perfect, harmonious time of peace. It's called the millennial reign. And that and only then will we experience peace in our world. Lasting peace. I mean, just look at the newspaper every day. It's mind-boggling, and it is defeating. It becomes obvious to any thinking person that the promise of peace, even by great leaders like our presidents, great men, 
has never been realized. It makes us cynical, doesn't it? Newsweek magazine reports uh, just about three months ago, reports that over 150 wars are being fought in the world right now. (laughs) We know the biggies. You know, we hear about the biggies. But 150 wars are being fought in the world right now. Man searches for and ironically fights for a peace that always eludes them. What's the problem? Where is God in our search for peace? Paul, speaking prophetically in 1 Thessalonians, says this, people are crying peace and safety, yet destruction will come upon them. At the end of times, before I'm going to, by the way, all those movies that have been out since 1998 about at the end of times and the end of the world, they're all pretty much true. Read your Bibles, okay? Read your Bibles. And what the kids told us, do what it says. <laughs> Get ready because the end of time is going to happen, just pretty much like all the movies have shown us. And here's what's happening. So the, the, this, this, this terribly wrong world, this kingdom of man, this little kingdom, this living by the flesh and by our own selfish desires has caused us to be this world of turmoil that we never experience peace for more than 20 minutes. We never, now, you may have peace in your household for a little while, but even that's at risk because all kinds of pressures, financial and jobs and everything else, are pushing in on you. Where do we find peace? The world says there's two ways that we do peace. We do it with words and see how that works. Okay, let's talk, talk, talk. Okay, you know, And then after that doesn't work, we do it with war. That's interesting. That's how we try to find peace. We do it with words and we do it with war. Over in this little kingdom, never works. Never has for thousands of years of human existence. It's never worked, and it's not going to work again until Jesus Christ comes back. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes, we need to pray for that. May may they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brethren and my companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. The psalmist had it right 6,000 years ago. Peace be within you. It's got to be in here. If you're waiting for peace to happen in our world, you're going to wait until you die. It's not going to happen. Peace be within you. That's what I want. I want peace within me. That's what God wants for you. Peace within you. Now, I want to know what it means to live at peace with myself and with others and with God. Now, when Jesus left the earth, he left uh, some instructions. And part of the instructions sounded really kind of weird. So listen to this, John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. And I'm sure the Christ followers, the disciples are looking around and said, what was that? Peace? I mean, the Romans are after us. The Jews hate us. The world seems to be crushing in on us. And if you look at the history of the first hundred years of the church, a hundred thousand Christians were killed were martyred for their faith. And Jesus said, okay, peace I leave with you. Is that really true, Jesus? Is that really true? And then you have to remember what he said, his qualifier. Jesus Jesus said, peace I leave with you. He said, my peace. Not peace in the world. Not peace on earth, goodwill toward men. My peace, Jesus said. You experience my peace, you experience peace. You experience Jesus in you, you experience peace his peace. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives over here, but I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I give you this. If you have the Spirit of God within you, if you are pressing into this upper half of life, this penthouse living of grace and peace and joy, if you're living that way, you'll experience peace, but only this way. You're not going to find it over here. It's always going to be over here. 
And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 4, we read these words. Again, this is Isaiah speaking prophetically about this end of time, this millennial reign, this time when there'll be peace on earth. This is what Isaiah said uh, 700 years before Christ. And, you know, uh, a long time ago. So here's what he said. They will beat their swords into plowshares. Boy, don't we wish that would happen, right? In fact, uh, George W. used this text uh, after 9-11. They will beat their, uh, their swords into plowshares. I wish, I wish it were true. It's not going to happen over here. It's the kingdom of man. This is broken. They will beat their swords and plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Don't we wish that would happen? Nor will they train for war anymore. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen not until Jesus Christ returns. This is the promise of peace to the world. The world wants it. They have no way to get it unless they come over here and they experience the power of the Holy Spirit within their lives. Now, one of my favorite rock bands. Now, I grew up, I grew up with some of the best rock bands ever, you know, Rolling Stones, Three Dog Night, you know, all the Christian bands, I mean, all the bands of the day. And, uh, but one of my favorite bands in the last 20 years is U2. And I love that because Bono is, uh, he's getting, he, he claims that he's getting this close to being a Christ follower, right? I don't know what that means, but this close. But Bono wrote a song a few years ago called Peace on Earth. This is U2, uh, that famous Irish band, rock band. Uh, uh, Peace on Earth, and here's the words that Bono wrote in this book, uh, this song, Peace on Earth. Jesus, this song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on Earth, here at every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? That's a good question. That's a person standing over here in the kingdom of man saying, where do we find this over here? How do we get here? Because we're not, we're not seeing it here. It sticks in my throat. It doesn't work. They don't rhyme. History and, and what we see now, it doesn't rhyme. How do, how do we get over here? That's the question he was asking. Hope and history won't rhyme. There's no match, no fit. It doesn't fit together. We want peace. We can't do peace. And yet God says you can experience peace. It's like the zookeeper who allegedly discovered the key to a peaceable kingdom. In the same cage, he kept a lion and a lamb. Isn't that remarkable? When asked how he did it, he responded, Oh, I just put in a fresh lamb every morning. <laughs> I know. Oh, little lamb, come on. It's a joke. So, oh, so here's the kingdom of man over here. This is the best we got, right? Take, put in a fresh lamb every morning. That's the best we've got. We try hard. You know, we, you know, if we kill enough of the bad guys, maybe there'll be peace. No, then the good guys turn into the bad guys. We've seen that a hundred times. Let's give arms to these people. Oh, no, let's take them away. Let's give them to the... Oh, no, let's... You know, it just doesn't work. Bono said hope and history won't rhyme. We want peace, so we just don't know how to get it. So let's let the Bible instruct us. Uh, Zechariah, the prophet, again, speaking prophetically of Jesus, the Messiah, said this. He... Jesus will guide our feet into the path of peace. So my prayer, as we look at these three things I want to share with you, that Jesus will guide our feet into the path of peace. It's not easy. This world is where we live. This is where we're, we're kind of locked down in this world until we die and go to heaven, right? But we're somehow, as kingdom people, we're supposed to live with this life and the Spirit over here. So let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Three things about peace that I want to identify. The first is this. Peace is always from God. 
Never from you. I mean, we can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen. Peace is from God. He is the initiator. He is the incarnation of peace. He is peace. The Bible teaches that one day, just as Jesus came to earth as a baby, one day, as I said before, he will break through the eastern sky. He will come again, and, 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 and there will be peace on earth for a thousand years. After that, devil will be loosed for a short time. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire, and there'll be peace for all eternity. That's the promise, but it's not going to happen as long as we're trying to follow politics. Politics is going to lead us into peace. Won't happen. Kingdom of man, it's broken. Never work. Yeah, we want to be good citizens, but that's not going to work. Paul says there's got to be a better way. The peace has to be from God. Now, there's a, a famous passage that uh, many of you know when you um, hear, when we read at Christmas time passages from the Old Testament about. Uh, about um, the incarnation. Uh, here is a passage about Jesus from Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. This is prophetically speaking of Jesus. For a child is born to us. You can almost hear the hallelujah chorus, can't you? A child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, Jesus, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Come on, you can do this. Prince of Peace, thank you. His government, his government, the Spirit of God, not his government, this isn't going to work. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. He will do it. Okay, so that's awesome, okay? We're going to have peace in the future. It's going to last for eternity. It'll be amazing. Uh, he will establish peace. There'll be no tears. The Bible says in Revelation, no sorrow, no fighting, no arguing, no evil, no terrorists, no unfaithfulness, no killing. Peace will be all around us and in us. But until then, how do we live with peace over here. How do we live with the peace of God over here? Well, there's a beautiful story in Luke chapter 8, and many of you know this story. It's the story of Jesus when he went out on the boat with his disciples. Now, presumably they were going fishing. Probably started out to be a nice day, but in Israel, if you see the Sea of Galilee, there's kind of two hills, and sometimes wind comes down through those two hills, and it comes down and blows over the Sea of Galilee, and it's like a hurricane, and it happens just like that. That wasn't a very good snap. There we go. It happens just like that. And so that was what happened. So the guys are out fishing, throwing their nets out. Jesus is kind of bored, so he goes to the back of the boat, lays down, and he takes a nap. Okay, while this happens, a storm comes up, kind of flows down from between those two mountains. The water is roiling. Now, these are veteran fishermen. These guys know the water. They know the Sea of Galilee. They know how to fish. They know how to handle themselves on a boat. But they were so terrified, they thought they were going to die. So this had to be some kind of a storm. So they're yelling and screaming. They're yelling, Jesus, get up. Why are you sleeping? you got to do something. And so Jesus wakes up. He rubs the sleep out of his eyes. He looks at the situation. And then he looks, and, and the Bible says he talks or speaks to the winds and the waves. This is awesome. How many times have you done that? You'd be a loony if you did that. He spoke to the winds and the waves. And here's what he said. He said, okay, you got stop it right now. You know, it's like you're talking to a three-year-old, stop it, I'm telling you, you stop it. He said, stop it to the winds and the waves. Everything stopped. Everything was calm. And the disciples said, oh, 
you know, thankfully. Jesus said, okay, I can get back to my nap. But here's the deal. The disciples said this. He said, what kind of a man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. What kind of a man is that? Well, what kind of a man is that? Is a man of peace. A man who is at peace within him. Not around him. The storm is going around him. A man of peace within him. You can experience the peace of God only by experiencing the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, within you. That's kingdom of God stuff. That's the Spirit of God. Our text, Galatians 5, that's where you're pressing in. I want the Spirit. I want to surrender and submit my life to the Spirit. That's kingdom of God stuff. Kingdom of man is tough, but we have to take the kingdom of God stuff into the kingdom of man and then somehow experience the peace of God in that. But that's the first part. The peace is from God. Now listen to this one. It almost sounds like a contradiction. Peace is from us. It's from you and me. Psalm 122.7, may, with, with, may the peace within your walls and security be within your citadels. What he's saying there is that peace is up to us. I mean, we can know about peace, we can talk about peace, we can have peace packs and all of that, but we must walk in its ways. Peace is up to us. Now, the Bible says, Paul himself said, as far as possible, as far as is possible, live at all men with peace. Okay? That means somebody breaks into my house and is going to harm my children or my wife. I'm not going to be peaceful at that point. But where, wherever it's possible, and, and quite honestly, can we say this? Like 99.9% of the time, it's possible, right? Not always, but most of the time. Live at peace with all men. In other words, we have to take peace as a personal responsibility. It's your personal responsibility to bring peace into your home. It's your personal responsibility to take peace into your place of work, your school, the place where you go and play. It's your personal responsibility to walk in its ways. There's an old hymn, let there be peace on earth, remember, and let it, what? Begin with me. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin. Jesus said, blessed or happy are the peacemakers. Now, there's so much potential in our world for anti-peace over here, right, the kingdom of man. And yet we have to take that individual responsibility of peacekeeping. I'll give you an example. Um, I did this in first service. It was really cool. I'll tell you later what happened in first service. But let me see. Let me, I'm going to pick on uh, Omar. Come on up here. Omar's just young enough. If he had to, he could kick my rear end. So um, I'm gonna, I had to pick on somebody as big as I am or almost as big. So Omar, put your hands right there. Now, Omar and I are friends, right? But we have a disagreement. And our disagreement, I'm going to push a little bit, you know, because I'm right. Now, in order for Omar to stay upright, I'm a big man, he has to do what? Push back. Okay, so we push back a little bit, not much. I, I kind of feel it though. I say, well, wait a minute, pal. And so I'm, I'm pushing my way and my way. And so I push more. He pushes more. Now, this is going to go on until somebody's going to get in a fight. Somebody's going to get in an argument. Somebody's going to have a problem. By the way, this happens all the time in marriage. Okay, all the time. So here's the only way to avoid this. There's only one thing to do. Somebody's got to quit. Now, in the first service, Omar, when Steve Stewart quit, he gave me a big hug. So come on, come on in here. So, okay, yeah. So that principle of pressure is this. And when somebody's pushing on you, you want to push back. Okay, that's a human nature. That's a kingdom of man feeling response. So you want to push back. Especially in marriage, if, if you keep pushing, you're going to end up in these big fights and these big arguments and these yelling fits and divorce and all of that stuff. Somebody's got to back off. 
Now you say, well, that's not fair. Uh, that person is going to, no, 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 no. When you back off, especially in marriage, when you back off, the other person kind of, kind of, you know, comes forward like, and then there's some reasonable, Sherry and I do this all the time. We, we'll even joke and say, okay, who's going to back off first? You know, who's going to back, and then you kind of make a joke out of it because somebody has to stop pushing. It's your personal responsibility to stop pushing. As every one of you are individual Christ followers, it's your personal responsibility to, put, to quit pushing. That's the only way we're going to experience peace, the peace of the Spirit over here in this realm. We take personal responsibility. Because we see in our text that there's this dilemma. This dilemma is to uh, be live in this world. I want the Spirit of God in my life, but, I'm, uh, but this is drawing me over here, but the Spirit's pulling me back here. And there's... A, the Bible, our text says, submit, surrender, put at the cross your selfish desires. Peace is within you. We have to take that personal responsibility to live and to give peace. I remember when I was uh, in just sixth grade, uh, some kid, I was, uh, uh, I was kind of feisty when I was a kid. My dad was feisty, even as a grown up. And uh, so I, when I was a kid, I got in fights. It's interesting, in those days, you get in fights, and after the fights, you'd be friends. Today, everybody pulls out knives and guns and stuff, and it's just crazy. But back in the day, kids would kind of settle things on their own. So this other kid, uh, he called me out and said, we're going to have a fight, so we're in the schoolyard. Everybody's gathered around cheering, you know. And he and I are just kind of dancing around, you know, waiting for someone to make a move. Well, this goes on for two or three minutes. And if you've ever been in a fight, after two or three minutes of dancing around, you're exhausted, you know. I got nothing left, you know. But you don't want to tell the other guy that, right? So, so you're, and finally he kind of leaned in and he said, he said, Dwayne, he said, I'll quit if you quit. And I said, oh, good. You know, and so we dropped our dukes and we were best friends and it was just awesome. Take personal responsibility for peace. Live it, give it. Personal responsibility for peace. Now, there's another kind of fighting that I don't do that some of you do. And this is kind of a new term to me. It's called Facebook fights. Yeah, yeah. so you're on Facebook with somebody and somebody makes a political comment and all your Christian friends jump on your head and say, oh, that's not right and that's not this. And, and so you're back and forth and, you know, take personal responsibility not to defriend them. That's not nice, you know, to say, you know what? You could be right. I'm going to think about it and end and the conversation. Take personal responsibility for peace. Now, the, the final place we find peace and it's so wonderful in our text that it's this. Peace is within you. Peace is your responsibility. Peace is from God. Peace is from you. But peace is within you. And this, as you know, is the key. Peace is not something that can be commanded or legislated. It's something that has to be caught, captured. It's something that comes with embracing the Spirit and saying, I submit my life to the Spirit of God. I submit my life to living in this upper half, this penthouse living of grace, this penthouse living of forgiveness and sacrifice and all of it. I submit my life to the Spirit of God. When you do that, you submit your life to a life of peace. Remember, the kingdom of God, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Now, he said the kingdom of God is around us, right? That's where this over here. But the kingdom of God is within you. This kingdom, you take with you when you come over here. This kingdom of God is within you. And here's, here's how it works. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. What he meant is the Christ or the, the lordship of Jesus in your life. That's what kingdom means. The lordship of Jesus in your life. You take that spirit over here and you live because you can only experience peace when it is within you. 
Mother Teresa accepted the Nobel Peace Prize uh, many years ago. And here's what she said in her acceptance speech. All of the works of love are works of peace. We do not need bombs and guns. We need love and compassion. Let us learn that unless we are full of God, we cannot give that love. We cannot give that peace to others. Now, what Mother Teresa was saying without really using the language, St. Augustine's language between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, he wrote that over a thousand years ago. So this language, what she was saying is that this kingdom over here is about bombs and guns, always has been, always will be. He said, but we have to somehow take this kingdom of God's mercy and grace over here. The only way we can do that, we can't carry it with our arms. We have to carry it within us, the peace of God within us. We're no longer enemies with God. We're no longer, the Bible says, at enmity or enemies with God. When we say yes to Jesus, Ephesians 2 says that that wall of hostility is broken down and we have access to God by His Spirit and that all that we have peace within us. It's not some external thing, you know, where there's no wars and fighting. That's never going to happen until the millennial reign. But we have peace within us. What Mother Teresa was saying is that To be full of peace is to be full of God, the peace of God within us, the Prince of Peace. And that's why we fail so often in this dilemma of peace. When you experience peace within you, what happens on the outside, no matter how painful it is or distressing or overwhelming the world can be, this little kingdom can be, when you have the peace of God within you, everything can remain in this place of peace. Everything. So, who's the guy that you can think of in the Bible that had maybe the most raucous, upside-down, God, what are you doing to me kind of life? I mean, there's a lot of candidates, but here's my number one candidate, Job. Job. We always talk about the patience of Job. How about this? How about the peace of Job, right? So, Job lost everything. He lost his family, uh, except for a wife that was kind of, you know, one of these. And he lost everything, his cattle and his servants and his sheep and his everything. It was just terrible. He lost everything. And here's what Job said. This is awesome. Job 22.1. Job says, submit to God and be at peace with him. In the midst of all this bad stuff and death and terrible, losing my money and my everything and all this stuff, Submit to God and be at peace with Him. Isn't that beautiful? Job is the same one that a couple chapters later, here's what Job said. He said, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. All this stuff that happened in the kingdom of man, I know it was bad and awful and I hated it, especially missed my kids, right? That was terrible. I was awful. But listen, I submit myself to God. I live at peace and I know that my Redeemer lives. Horatio Spafford was a devoted Christ follower that lived in Chicago in the 1870s. In 1871, he, had lost, uh, he and his family had lost all of their belongings in the Chicago fire of 1871. Horatio Spafford worked for D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist, and D.L. Moody had gone over to Great Britain to um, run a spiritual crusade. In fact, thousands of people in Great Britain, I know this sounds weird today because Great Britain is kind of when it comes to spiritual life, but uh, there was a tremendous 
uh, tr tremendous outpouring of God's Spirit and revival that was going on in Great Britain. And D.L. Moody was leading the charge. Thousands of people were giving their hearts to Christ. It was amazing. And Horatio Spafford, uh, instead of rebuilding his house in Chicago, he said, you know, I'm going to go over and help D.L. Uh, do the ministry, do the crusades over there and make, uh, you know, make an impact for Christ. And so uh, he had uh, a wife and four beautiful daughters. Uh, he sent his daughters uh, and wife on ahead on another ship across the Atlantic uh, so that he could finish up some business in Chicago before he headed over to Great Britain to help D.L. Moody. On November 22nd, 1873, the ship was struck accidentally by an English vessel and sank in 12 minutes. Um, most people on board drowned. Several days later, the survivors landed, just a few of them, at Cardiff, Wales. And Mrs. Spafford, who was one of the survivors, cabled her husband, and in the cable it just said two words, saved alone. He knew exactly what she meant. His four daughters had drowned. Saved alone. Spafford's four daughters and everything they had perished that day. In his grief, sailing to join his bereaved wife, Spafford penned this text, whose words so magnificently describe his own personal grief. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is a peace that is within you. Unnatural, incomprehensible, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, this kind of peace that we're looking for seems very elusive. Uh, since the dawn of history, mankind has been trying to figure this thing out about peace and has never, ever been able to do it. And so, Lord, you, your son comes along and tells us that he is the Prince of Peace. And the peace that we can know is the peace within us when we're at peace with God. And when we're at peace with God, we're at peace with ourselves. And when we're at peace with ourselves, we can be at peace with man. And we can take that spirit life, that abundant, joyful, grace-filled spirit life into this broken kingdom of man world and at least speak the words of peace. We take personal responsibility for that, Father. And this morning, I just want each of us, Lord, to know that in spite of the circumstances we face, in spite of the difficulties of our lives, in spite of even the tragedies that we face, that we can look up to the Father because of the peace within us and say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Father, may that be our faithful companion, the Spirit of God within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.